Um, I really appreciate the worship team because we did have some illnesses last minute. Joel is at home sick right now, and so is Pete. And I'm going to narc on Pete a little bit. Pete's our main guitar player. He won't mind me sharing this. But my wife and I visited him yesterday. He had actually a fairly serious infection, but he's doing well now. And he thinks it was caused because he just got a new house out in Cresswell, and, and there's some stuff wrong with the septic tank. And he decided to go and fix it himself, which always goes well, right? And he didn't turn the pump off first, and so it was unhooked. And he had it cut on his leg, and so it was unhooked, and the pump turned on, and it doused him. And he sent a text to his wife, it was one of the best texts I've ever heard of. It said, I love you, honey, just want to let you know, um, had some problems with the septic tank, I fixed it. Hashtag, I'll never be clean again. Hashtag, <laughs> don't plumb with your mouth open. Okay, so I just thought, oh my gosh, but then he got an infection, but he's recovering. So anyway, so feel free to tease him mercilessly when he gets back for that whole item, all right? Today and Sunday, we're going to actually be finishing up a teaching series on the topic of wisdom. Um, it's a journey through the books of Ecclesiastes and Proverbs that we started in January. We've been in that long, and we're going to finish, I'll actually finish it next week. But it's been a blast, and I hope today will be more of the same. And today, we're going to look at two sections of scripture that have to do with cattle phones, which I'll explain, and defeating God's villa. I do love me some titles, okay? So let's start off with cattle phones first, and this is out of Ecclesiastes chapter 8. There is something else that is meaningless, we'll talk about that later, that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve, and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless, okay? If any of you have ever had kids, or if any of you can remember being a kid yourself, you're familiar with these two very important words. No fair. No fair. You hear it all the time. You probably said it all the time as a kid. No fair, no fair, no fair, okay? One kindergarten room was so aware of the fact that these words were being used all the time that they, they brought in what was called a tattle phone to their kindergarten class. It was a big red phone that they could go, and it was connected to a recording device. They got the parents' permission. But the red phone they could go to and vent their frustrations any time they felt some sort of injustice done towards them or something that made them feel like life is no fair. You can get on NPR and just Google tattle phones. They're... The results of their conversations with this phone were absolutely hilarious. But it brought out a point that I want to call to our attention today. At a very young age, all of us developed this keen sense of justice, didn't we? Of what is fair and what is not fair. And we've taken this sense of fairness and justice with us into adulthood. It bugs us to no end when we see things that are unjust or not fair. For example... I have to live with this bridge being fixed until the spring of 2021. Thank you very much. We're really fast around here, okay? But what bugged me when it's getting developed, there was a merge lane both ways, and you guys have been in it, and it said, even the sign said, merge like a zipper, okay? Merge like a zipper. That's what it said, actually, on the sign. And so I, I'm obedient, I'm loyal to the law, and I go, okay, I'll merge like a zipper. One car at a time, we just did this. But there's always that guy, and sorry guys, it was almost always a guy, okay, who go, I'm not merging like a zipper, I'm not going to be a zipper. And they would try to pass hundreds of cars going at a high rate of speed on the right. And I would always see that and I'd go, no fair, I have to merge like a zipper, right? You have to merge 
times I go, no way, I'm not putting up this until 2021. So if I saw a car approaching at a rapid rate of speed, even though it already emerged like a zipper, I pull over and block that. I go, no, 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 you're emerging like a zipper. Get behind me, Satan. Okay? And I, I, I took one for the team. You get flipped off a lot like that, but I didn't care because that's no fair that they can just take cuts, okay? A lot of things in life are no fair. It is no fair that women don't get equal pay for doing the same jobs guys do. I can't believe that still exists, and it does. It's no fair that people are discriminated on based on their sexual orientation, the color of their skin, or their social status. That is no fair. It is no fair that one person gets arthritis and the rest of the people in their family don't get arthritis. It is no fair that some people die too young. I am sick of doing funerals for 20-year-olds, but I've done it. It's no fair. It's no fair that some women can't have kids that want them. No fair, no fair, no fair. There's all these things in life that are no fair. And the verses in Ecclesiastes tell us the truth rather bluntly. And the truth is this. Sometimes bad things happen to good people, and sometimes good things happen to bad people. Or, in other words, that was their way of saying this. Life is not fair. And it's not People in the time of Jesus had a difficult time wrapping their head around this. And so they go to Jesus in Luke chapter 13, and they're talking about the subject of fairness. And Jesus brings up an incident that just happened. The Tower of Siloam, it was like a, a you know, several-story building, had, had crumbled and toppled over and killed 18 people. But in their mind, in the people he was talking to, in their minds, they thought, well, this was fair, though, because good things happen to good people, and bad things happen to bad people, so they just got what was coming to them, so this was fair. And then, and so in their mind, these people that the tower crumbled on were notorious sinners, and they had, that's, it was all fair. And Jesus said, no, no, they weren't notorious sinners. They were good people. Sometimes things just happen. Bad things just happen. And you could almost hear the gears in their head coming to a grinding halt. They're thinking, what? You're telling us that bad things happen to good people too? That's not how it's supposed to work. No fair. Life is not fair. Bingo, they got that right. You see, Jesus promised us life. He promised us abundant, full, rich, enduring, forever life. But not once did he promise us fairness. You will never find a scripture in the Bible that has anything to do with fairness, okay? So, he died on the cross, no fair. His followers were brutally martyred, got killed themselves, no fair. Some followers today in the world are persecuted and mistreated simply because of their faith, no fair. Sometimes we can be the best version of ourselves, do everything we know we're supposed to do that is good and right, and still manure can occur, to put it bluntly, okay, in our life, and our life can be in one calamity and, and episode of pain after another. Life is not fair, and that's not how it's supposed to work. That's why these verses in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 are so important, because the first verse talks about how life is unfair. But the second verse talks about this. It talks about how we can still experience joy in the midst of this unfairness and unhappiness of life. And that's an important thing to notice. You can read it for yourself and how it goes on to talk about that. And that's important to notice because we have to remember this. Don't let the weight of injustice crush your joy. That's not how it has to be. I want to give you an example of this, okay? I want to tell you the story 
about a woman named Amy Copeland. And I want to tell you the story of her life around Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving's coming up right now. And at Thanksgiving, her family had the tradition like ours does of rehearsing some of the things they were thankful for in life. And it got to her, and she had kind of an unusual answer. Her answer was, I'll tell you what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for my right knee and for my elbows, which sounds like the weirdest thing to be thankful for around the Thanksgiving table until you know her story. In 2012, she was on a homemade zip line. She had a little accident, okay? And you guys have a homemade zip line. I know some of you do. But she had a little accident. She developed an infection similar to the one Pete got. But hers flamed up into this flesh-eating bacterial infection that was highly dangerous. And it led to the amputation of both of her hands, of her right foot, and her entire left leg. I think I have a picture of her. Yeah, there. There she is. So, very young girl, very vibrant girl. And she somehow maintains this glorious attitude through it all, even though life has not treated her fairly. But she admits, she's so honest and vulnerable, she admits, I still have these, these moments where I sink into a pit of despair and have a pity party for myself, and I think, why me, God? Why me? This is so unfair. But now she even thinks of those moments as something to be grateful for. Look at her own words, what she says about this. She's a remarkable human being. There is a beauty in the raw tenderness of a broken heart. The anger and sadness are just part of being human. Amazing. So for Amy Copeland in her life, she sees heartbreak and joy tethered together. She sees unfairness and joy tethered together, just like they are in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, and just like they can be in our lives. We are all going to have times when we have pity parties. When we think to ourselves, why me? Why me? Why did this happen to me? Why does this continue to happen to me? This is not fair. Please remember, you can still have joy. Don't let the weight of the injustice and the unfairness crush your joy. And I'm going to tell you two things that will happen to you if you find yourself in these situations. First of all, is a very important moment that you'll need to experience. The moment... You stop demanding God to solve all your problems and to make your life completely fair is the moment you'll take your first step into joy. I'm going to say that again because it's a really important truth. The moment that you stop asking God or expecting God to solve all your problems and make your life completely fair is the moment you will take your first step into joy. God never promised fairness. He did promise his presence, though, and that's way better. He is a God who will sit in the pain of the injustice and the unfairness with us. And the second thing is remember this word. That word, when we read that verse out of Ecclesiastes chapter 8, used the word meaningless. And you have to remember that when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, that's a really unfortunate translation. The word doesn't mean what our English word meaningless does. It's the Hebrew word havel, and it means vapor. So he's saying, the writer of Ecclesiastes is painting this glorious, hopeful picture for all of us. He's saying, when you find yourself in a situation where you think, this is no fair, this is not fair, why is this happening to me? Remember that that unfairness, that injustice, is havel, which means vapor, which means it's temporary. So in those moments where you're suffering life's unfairness, it's so important to remember, ah, oh, I'm suffering right now, but it won't always be this way. This trouble, this injustice is a vapor that will dissipate. All right? 
Second thing I want to bring up today is defeating Godzilla. Let's look at Hebrews, or Hebrews, Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and chapter 10, a couple of verses here. Chapter 9. I also saw under the sun an example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it and surrounded it and built huge siege works against it. Now, there lived, now you've got to remember, in this time, in this day and age, when a king uh, attacked another city, created a siege there, they weren't nice. They hardly ever took any, any prisoners. They basically leveled and wiped out and destroyed the city. So this was a dangerous moment in history. Now, there lived in that city a man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. Interesting. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer needed. Interesting, okay? Now let's move on to chapter 10. I want to read a verse out of that, too. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. What an interesting couple of scriptures here, okay? And they talk about small things. Small things can make a big difference in our life, for better or for worse. So let's first talk about the good. In the first section that we read... They're about a small person. Now, he wasn't small in stature, but he was small in reputation. He was small in the world's eyes because he was poor. So in that culture, he was easily ignored. He was easily pushed to the, to the margins, okay? Yet this small person did a big thing. He saved the city. He saved so many people's lives. And it made me think of other small people that have done big things in the world. And I couldn't help but think of Rosa Parks because there's this... I don't know why I was thinking of her this week, but I just was. Here's this tiny little woman, but she refused to sit in the back of the bus, and her, her revolution, her rejection of the norms of the time helped move forward social justice in our nation. She was a small person, but she did a big thing. You don't have to be a big person with a big bank account, a big reputation, and even a big mouth to do big things. Small, marginalized people, people on the fringes of society, do big things that change the world all of the time. I have a quote up in my office that I kept from uh, a man named Roy Hicks who started all the faith centers in Eugene way back in the day. And he actually hired me. He gave me my first youth pastor job. And on, his, on, on one of his sermons, he had this quote, and so I put it on my wall, and it said this, God rarely uses the dynamic superstar but he often uses the humble servant. And I thought about that. I thought, that's right. God rarely uses dynamic superstars. The people he uses are the humble people, or you might say the small people. He uses those people all the time. So yeah, the world might view all of us as small, but don't be discouraged by that because so many good things happen because of small people who have big hearts. And it's not just the small people that change the world and that make a difference in our life. It's also the small things, the small things we do. I don't know if you've noticed, if you're not a movie buff, maybe you didn't. But there are so many in the last year or two, there are so many comic book superhero movies out there right now. It's like they're trying to invent new ones. And it's almost like the writers of movie everywhere have forgot how to write original stories. And they're going... Let's just make a movie out of another comic book right now. That's what they're doing. But I think I know why they are so popular. Because if we're honest with ourselves, every single one of us, when we're by ourselves and completely vulnerable and honest, really dream of doing something heroic in this world, don't we? 
something big and flashy that draws headlines and changes the world, like, like flying into Tokyo and defeating Godzilla for the citizens there. Don't we? You know, come on, in our honest moments, we think, I want to be a superhero. And that sounds so amazing. But the truth is, it's usually the small things we do that end up being heroic. The small things we do for other people are what defeats monsters. You can offer a, you can speak a small word of encouragement or blessing into someone's life, and it can defeat the monster of despair in their life. It can help them keep going when they actually wanted to throw in the towel. You can do that. You have that power. You can visit someone for a half an hour and defeat the villain of loneliness that plagues our society. You can give a hug to a person that's suffering um, attacks from the twin beasts of anxiety and depression, which I battle in my life, and a simple hug can usher them into peace. You can pray for someone that's facing something that they dread that is so scary they don't know how they're going to face it, and you can somehow walk them into a victory over that scary monster. You can do these things, okay? Some of you have watched the TV show entitled A Million Little Things. I've only watched a couple of episodes. It's not my favorite, but I love the theme. I'm going to put the theme up on the screen for us. The theme of the show is this. Friendship isn't a big thing. It's a million little things. For us, as Jesus lovers, the journey is about this. The journey is about developing hearts so big and egos so tiny that we'll be willing to do the small, unnoticed thing. The million little things God wants us to do that will never get a headline, just for the sake of love. I want to show you now a painting. Uh, it's by Vincent Van Gogh. It's one of his more famous. It's called The Starry Night. And uh, Vincent Van Gogh is mostly famous to most people because he got his ear cut off. But he was actually a brilliant artist. And he really wanted to be a minister. He actually wanted to be a pastor of the church. And he was for a while, but they fired him for being too radical. He's got an amazing story, okay? Every time they tried to pay him, he'd give all the money to the poor. And every time they'd give him something, he'd sell it and give all the money to the poor. And he lived in a haystack behind the church. A haystack, seriously. <laughs> so... He was an amazing guy, but you'll notice this painting, it's full of light, and that's what captures your attention. The light captures your attention, not just the light in the, star, in the sky of a starry night, but then you'll see some of the houses in the village have light in them, lights emanating from them. But then you'll notice the main building in this painting is a church, and it's dark. There's no light coming from it. That's how he felt about the church, and sometimes I think he's right. Sometimes I agree with Van Gogh, and I go... Oh my gosh, there's not enough love and light emanating from churches. But I don't want to get too critical because I don't think it's because people in churches are evil people. Okay, we're in a church today. We're not evil people. I think the reason there's not as much light emanating from churches as there should be is because of this. We've been fooled into thinking that the small things that we could do for others don't really matter. And so we do nothing. So we do nothing. We just wait there until we can figure out something big and flashy and heroic to do. And you know what? My word to you today is this. Please, I beg of you, don't wait. All of you this week, I promise you, this is how God works. God's going to give you something to do for somebody else that will emanate light into the world, that will move things forward, that will, that will make love go forward too. 
But it's going to be something small. The world won't notice. You'll get no headlines. But do it anyway. Shine your light one small flicker of flame at a time. It'll make a huge difference. Okay? Now let's talk about the nasty little verse we read about out of chapter 10 that talks about the bad things that can happen through the small things in our life, okay? This is a verse about a dead lion's perfume. Just like one little good thing can make a big difference, one little rotten thing can ruin things. This is so true. Think about it. If you go out to lunch today and you're eating a bowl of soup, one human hair in that soup, one tiny an eyelash, one little human eyelash ruins the meal for you, okay? One dropped pass in a football game can lose you the game, okay? Yeah, I'll make no jokes about certain teams, okay? <laughs> One little germ, as Joel knows right now, can make you sick. One little lie can destroy a friendship. I've seen that happen. One little insensitive comment can cause a deep wound in a person's life. It's true. One little immoral act can ruin someone's reputation. Or how about this? All of us are guilty of this. One little seed of bitterness can do so much damage in your life. And we've all done this. We've looked at a relationship. Somebody did something that hurt us, and we say, oh, I've forgiven them. But we haven't completely forgiven them. We've like 99.9% forgiven them. But we think, I'm going to harbor just a little bitterness towards that person, a little bit of anger and a little bit of resentment, because honestly, it just feels so good. It just feels really good to be bitter at that person. So I'm just going to hold on to that. But the problem is, that little seed of bitterness that we tuck away in a deep crevice of our heart, it grows inside of that deep crevice in our heart. It does. It grows, and it flourishes, and it springs up. And then it doesn't just cause problems in that relationship with that person that we're bitter towards. It causes problems in all of our relationships, including our relationship with God, because that's how bitterness works. You can't just turn it on and turn it off. If you turn it on, it just stays on, kind of like the sewage system that Pete was trying to fix, okay? That's how it works, and so we've got to know that. Uh, we've got to know that. Hebrews chapter 12 warns us about this. It says this. Let's put this up. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. One little seed of bitterness can ruin so many things. This is also how temptation works. When we give into one little temptation, what happens is we give into one little act of disobedience, one little improper thought, one little deed that we know we shouldn't do, but we did it anyway. And then it starts to snowball, and then we do more things, and we do them more often. Before we know it, we get trapped in a cycle of destructive behavior in our life. We've got to look out for the little things, because the little things can spoil the precious things, and that's what this verse in Ecclesiastes is telling us. So here are two things that will help us in this matter. When there's some little things going wrong in your life. The first is a great prayer. Let's put up Psalm 139. I love this prayer. The psalmist writer says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. You know, right now there's a popular item online. I think it came out specifically to target the holidays. Uh, they want to sell this during the holidays, and it's called a Pavlov bracelet. I don't know if you've seen them. It's named after the scientist Pavlov, who, who did, you know, Pavlov dogs. 
And the Pavlov bracelet, if you're trying to break a bad habit, like say you're trying to quit smoking or you're struggling with overeating or biting your nails, every time you participate in this negative behavior, the Pavlov bracelet will shock you. Okay, the problem is you have to have the willpower to press the button on the bracelet. Like if you catch yourself, oh my gosh, I'm biting my nails, you press the button and it shocks you, and it shocks you pretty good. It's like a, quite a jolt. Well, then they realize people don't have the willpower, that's why they're doing the negative things in the first place. So it wasn't working, so they developed an app that you can give to your friends and family, and they put it on their phone, and they notice you biting their nails, they press a button, and it shocks you. And I thought to myself, yeah, that wouldn't work for me because I don't trust my family, my wife, or my friends enough because they'd just be at work thinking, what should I do? I don't. I'm going to shock them every time. There's no way I'm putting a bracelet on like that. It's like a dog collar, one of those, you know, oh, no way. I think a much better alternative is to regularly pray the prayer that we just put up on here. Search me, O oh God, and know my anxious thoughts. Test me and see if there's any offensive way in me, any little fly in the perfume, and lead me in the way everlasting. Because when you allow, when you pray that prayer, you're saying, God, show me the flies in my perfume. Show me even the tiniest things that I'm getting off your path. The tiniest ways I'm getting off path, out of direction, out of sync with you. And he'll do that, and then you can partner with their removal. And the second thing you can do, first is a great prayer, and second is a great practice. And the practice is confession. Let's look at a verse out of James chapter 5. Let's look at this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful and it's effective. I used to read this verse for years and think, I know it's in the Bible, there's no way in hell I'm doing that. Sorry, but that was my thought. I'm not <laughs> confessing my sins to other people. I barely can get them confessed to God because I'm so ashamed of them. I'm not going to walk up to another person and go, you want to know all the horrible things I thought this week? Half of them are about you. You might as well know. <laughs> that kind of thing. I just thought, this is ridiculous. It shouldn't be in the Bible like the book of Revelation. Okay, so it should be. I'm teasing. Okay. But I think differently of that now because, honestly, when we confess things to people, it's an effective form of fly removal. Because when you are vulnerable enough to confess your sins to a trusted friend or a trusted loved one, they something happens. It's a form of fly removal because they'll agree with you. You'll confess it to them, and they won't look at you and go, oh, that's no big deal, don't worry about that. No, they'll go, yep, that's a fly, all right. You should get that out of your life. It's going to cause you a lot of damage. And so then you move towards taking steps to change and to have a different life, and transformation takes place. And you do this not just because it's the right thing to do, which it is, but you also do it out of embarrassment. Because you know you're going to be meeting with this person again, and you don't want to confess any embarrassing, rotten little things in your life. You don't want to go to him and go, well, I know you made me aware of that fly in my life last week, but I didn't get rid of it. In fact, I collected some other flies. I seem to like dead flies in my life. You don't want to do that. And I'm living proof of how effective this is. I meet with a person every week, and we call it Say It All. It used to be Tuesdays, it's moved to Thursdays. So it's Say It All Thursdays. And I have to confess to this person who I trust anything, anything in my life that I feel like is a rotten little fly. And it is humiliating. And there's sometimes when I'm thinking of participating in something I know is wrong, and I think, I'm not going to do that. Not necessarily because I'm a super godly person. 
And I'm thinking, I'm not going to do that because I'm going to have to tell this dude I have I just did that. I don't want to do that. This is too embarrassing. So I'll go do something godly instead. Okay? <laughs> it really, really works. But the point is this. Watch out for the small things in your life so they don't spoil the precious things. That's a huge gift of wisdom to us. Let me pray for us, and I'll unleash you to have a great, beautiful fall day today. Life isn't fair, God. It butts us, but it's not fair, and that's a bummer, but it's true. But the unfairness doesn't have to crush our joy. Help us to remember that injustice is a vapor. It's havel. It won't always be like this. And help us to remember that you never promised us fairness, but you promised us your presence, Lord, to sit with us through the injustice, in the pain of the unfairness. And that's even better. Thank you, Lord. And God, help us to pay attention to the small stuff, to the small things that we can do to spread more love and light into the world, and to the small things that we need to remove from our lives, Lord, so they don't purify our perfume and spoil the preciousness of our life. We love you so much, Lord. Have a great, great day. And I want you to all say amen to that prayer because it's important. Can you say amen? Amen. amen? God bless you. Have a glorious week. We'll see you here next Sunday as we finally put this, this series to rest. We'll finish it. If you need extra prayer in your life, Jimmy's up here. Come on forward and let this wonderful prayer warrior pray over your life. Give me an extra dose of joy and strength. All right, have a good one.